Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about President Trump's Reopening America Commission. Georgia Congressman Jody Heiss joins me to talk about COVID spending and more. Trump's Corona presser takedown. And Boris is back along with over 300,000 other people. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You may have seen the news over the weekend. President Trump announced he is he's created a commission, a reopening America commission, and he named the people on it. I have Matt, the wonderful producer, has, I believe, a picture of this council, the Council to Reopen America. I'm going to ask him to briefly put that picture up so you can see the people who are chosen by President Trump. These include, of course, uh, Steve Mnuchin, who is the Secretary of the Treasury, Larry Kudlow, Director of National Economic Council and advisor to President Trump, um, economic advisor. You have Robert Lighthizer, U.S. U.S. Trade Representative Wilbur Ross, U.S. Secretary of Commerce, and Mark Meadows, former congressman, now uh, tr President Trump's chief of staff in the White House, and Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. I want you to see their pictures before I comment about all the criticism President Trump is already getting about the people he chose to name to that commission. First, he's getting criticism even from conservatives about these people aren't experts about coronavirus. They don't know anything about they're not supposed to be. They're not. These are not the medical experts. These are people talking about the economy, talking about what are we going to do, how are we going to move forward to bring America's economy back. A lot of criticism he's receiving also for putting his own family members on the council, Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner. All I want to say about that is this. President Trump came to Washington, a major league outsider, from the moment he declared his candidacy, from the time he won, entered the White House, surrounded by people, and of many of whom he is not sure he can trust. He has people who've been in the White House in various positions, the administration, the State Department, Department of Justice, FBI, no idea what page they are on with him, whether they really support him or not. So yeah, it looks a little bit like nepotism, like why are my family members on this commission? but I don't blame him one little bit. The idea of having these people who are, to be clear, very intelligent adults, very familiar with President Trump's agenda for America, what America first means, what it means to try to bring our economy back, and people he can trust. So I think he took a lot of unjustified criticism um, and just of all the things you could be worrying about, the coronavirus and how well hydroxychloroquine might be working, what are our numbers, have we flattened the curve? You have the media and the left and sadly some people on the right spending time criticizing who he has uh, chosen to put onto that commission rather than talking about are we moving forward solving our problem with the coronavirus. I think his commission is going to do a great job and I also want I'm going to close out the first five by saying this. Everybody wants America to get through this coronavirus problem. Everyone wants to be done with it. Everyone wants to find the best ways to help people. And so you have, in addition to all the concern about the virus, extreme growing concern on the part of millions of Americans. How are we gonna get our country back? How are we gonna get our economy moving? When can I go to work? I would rather be earning a paycheck than getting a check from the government. 
this forming this commission, even though we're still in the midst of the coronavirus, is a another stroke by President Trump indicating he understands where the American people are. And on that point, where the American people are, I want to just tease one little headline. I'll go more to it later. But there was a poll done among Americans about how afraid they are about the coronavirus. And so the headline of the that the article reporting this poll well, was an, a poll comparing how people thought about this virus March 10th and March 11th, two-day poll versus April 9th and April 10th. The USA Today headline, exclusive in four devastating weeks, Americans' fears of the coronavirus have exploded. Now, Matt the Wonderful has a quick um, clip I want him to put up and I'll show you because I want to tell you the headline sounds like people are afraid of dying of the virus. That's what the headline so sounds like. If you look at what they said, what has increased dramatically is Americans' fears over what the policies are doing to our economy and the global economy, the policies we chose to respond to the virus. There is an increase in the number of people concerned about the virus, and I'm sorry about that because naturally people are, the headlines are screaming every day. But the huge jump in fear in America, the question was whether COVID-19 poses a high threat and the big jumps in people's answer were yes, actually, it poses a high threat to the global economy, to the United States, to the stock market. The tiniest jump, the smallest jump, and still the smallest by far, the bottom bar, is me personally, do I think COVID-19 poses a high threat to me? And the reason to include that in today's first five, as I really am wrapping it up, is to say Americans are figuring out probably the greatest damage to America long term. And the problem we don't know how to get out of yet is to bring our economy back, bring our country back to being America. And that, my friends, is today's first five. As I said at the start of the show today, we have a guest joining us. Uh, he will, you'll see him on the screen uh, in a moment. It's Congressman Jody Heiss. He is a member of the U.S. Congress from the state of Georgia, or say the great state of Georgia, Congressional District 10. And um, he is a one of the people who signed on to the letter I mentioned a few days ago a letter sent from some members of Congress to the president urging the president to hold off, to don't necessarily sign on to another big spending bill to deal with the coronavirus until we figure out whether or not the money we're already spending, which is funny money in and of itself, is enough. It's really a, a willingness to stand up and I think a brave thing for these members of Congress to do to sign this letter as America is clamoring and panicked over coronavirus to sign a letter to the president urging him to just take it slowly. Let's wait and see what the impact was of the first bill. So I believe we have Congressman Jody Heiss on board. Hello, sir. Hi, Debbie. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. So glad you could join me today. Well, I want to, first of all, thank you for your uh, being, I know you're working, you're not able to be uh, fighting every day and, and in person in Congress, but you're still working for your district, as said, Congressional District 10, the great state of Georgia. And uh, I want to just jump right in to first talk about this letter. This is, I thought it was actually brave of you and other members of Congress to write to President Trump to say, hey, hold off on spending because we just spent a fortune on the first bill, the $2.2 trillion coronavirus rescue. So tell me about your thinking. Why did you sign on to that letter? What are your concerns as you see how Congress is dealing with the coronavirus? Yeah, well, thank you. Listen, we're, we're already $23 trillion in debt in this country. Uh, this is the third spending bill now that we have on this coronavirus. The first one was a little over $8 billion. 
The second one, very interestingly, by the way, the second one came to us in Congress at 15 minutes until midnight on a Friday night about three weeks ago, and we were on the floor voting at 12.30. So we had less than uh, 45 minutes to read the bill, let alone know what all was in it. It was hundreds of billions of dollars uh, in that bill. And then, as you referenced, the third one, over uh, $2 trillion. And we have not even spent all the money in those three bills yet, and yet the Democrats are already discussing a fourth and possibly even a fifth uh, bailout or whatever you want to call it, stimulus, whatever you want to call it, for the coronavirus. Uh, we cannot continue down this path of excessive spending. Who's going to pay for this? We are on an unsustainable path. We are on a path here that uh, is non-duplicatable. What are we going to do with the next emergency that comes? Look, we all know next month or the month after, we're, we're entering hurricane season. There's going to be hurricanes. There's going to be earthquakes. There's going to be forest fires. There's going to be any number of other emergencies that happen. Uh, and we are putting ourselves in a dangerous position of being able to handle those emergencies if we continue to spending on the levels that we're spending right now. So we wrote a, a, a letter basically just saying, look, uh, we understand the emergency. We understand the needs. We understand that government has mandated businesses to shut down and churches, and we've shut down our economy. We get that. And because the government has led the way in this, government has a role in trying to uh, fix it and trying to get it back in order. But we've got to be level-headed in our approach to this and not continue to bankrupt our country over this pandemic. I believe we're on the verge of getting over it. And uh, we don't need to let, as the president has well said, we don't need the solution in itself to be worse than the problem. You know, you referenced one of the points I wanted to make, and I'm so glad you did. But the entire, this is not like a hurricane, Mother Nature causing the problem or a military attack from, you know, some, some enemy on a city. This is government-imposed shutdown that caused the problem that then government is funding the solution with money, which the only place government ever has money from is taxpayers. So the government caused the problem, shut down the economy, using taxpayers' money to give back to them, to send back to them. And the it is a it's a if you could do a diagram, I'm not a good diagram person, but if you do a diagram, it's is is cyclical. And the longer the shutdown remains forced by the government the longer and more needs grow within the economy. It just, it seems like there has to be an adjustment in the way the local jurisdictions are imposing shutdowns. Did you see that coming, by the way, from Washington? Did you see any messaging from Washington about, uh, you know, that we have to start to free up the, uh, the economy and free up businesses in this country? Yeah, absolutely. There's no question the, the whole issue is changing in its trajectory with this. And the, the the next step is to reignite our economy and get it going again. But to, to hit on another point that you just mentioned, it's very interesting as we are, you know, nothing in Washington ever uh, ever stops. And we are, we are <laughs> watching on the one hand, massive, massive expansion of our federal government in all of this. And we're watching our liberties in process being threatened from religious liberties to our privacy issues, where we are now all being tracked as to whether or not we're abiding by the stay-at-home orders, and that information is being turned into the federal government. What happens when we're on the other side of this pandemic? Where, How do we put the genie back in the bottle? We have got to be vigilant to maintain our freedoms as Americans. But this whole 
2.3 trillion dollars. Keep in mind, Debbie, it started at 800 billion, and then it started increasing and increasing and increasing, and then the final bill is 2.2 trillion. Uh, we, we just can't uh, continue down that kind of path, but I am grateful. The only way we can get this thing resolved and back under control is to get our economy going again. As you referenced, uh, the, the president has put forth a task force now to determine how we can get the economy back in order. We have states leading the way with this, uh, Texas leading the way, mm -hmm. Governor Abbott. Uh, we're very proud of him and his role of saying we're going to get Texas back to work again. And so we are seeing the turning of the corner. Uh, to me, that can't come quickly enough, but obviously we want it to be done safely as well. But yes, the, the whole discussion uh, has shifted from or in process of shifting, I probably should say, from the coronavirus itself to let's get back to work and let's have, again, the strongest economy in the world. Yeah, I've been so grateful for comments, even by doctors, uh, not Dr. Fauci, but other doctors in this country. Um, I hadn't mentioned this uh, to you, but they had Dr. Katz from Yale, two doctors from Stanford, other doctors. Another letter came in to Washington from a group of doctors, I think in Minnesota, all saying that the way we're handling this is shut down America. This is not the only way to respond to the danger of a virus. We could have instead, and we still could now choose to instead of shutting down the whole economy and freezing even healthy Americans in place, use instead a tactic that protects the susceptible, the vulnerable. Do you hear the idea being talked about in Washington? Yeah, I, unfortunately, it's a little too too little, too late. You know, I think those discussions should have been early on because I totally agree with you. Uh, this is not an either or situation. There is a way to thread the needle between public safety and protecting our economy at the same time. Uh, for all practical purposes, that train has left the station now because of the, you know, we, we were listening as we should. And this is where it's a little... Uh, dicey to figure all this out, but we should listen to the healthcare professionals. If a pandemic is coming, we need to be careful. We need to protect that from spreading and becoming a national travesty as some pandemics have done in the past. But at the same time, I believe, and we're seeing now, this is one we knew the vulnerable. They were the elderly. They were individuals with uh, immune deficiencies. We need to protect them. But we have like 80% of the people who who contract coronavirus are asymptomatic. They're not even aware that they have it. And, yeah. and so this is one of those things that we could have threaded the needle between public safety and the economy. Gratefully, that discussion is now on the table. I uh, just wish it had been on the table earlier. Oh, I do too. And you mentioned something else I want to go to. You mentioned about religious liberty in this country. It's astonishing this shutdown happened or that Easter came around during the time of this shutdown. And the idea that um, I recounted many of the stories in the show yesterday, I think, uh, but talked about what happened on Monday, talked about what happened during the um, the uh, Easter services and leading up to Easter where you had mayors and governors essentially announcing you can't go to Easter service. Uh, even if you show up in your car, we're going to be keeping track of the license plates. Even the drive-in type church was not okay with some of those governors. And I was really shocked to, to, in my sense of it was, I think that people, you know, Easter, most important holiday in the Christian season, they were trying to be responsive, we'll stay in our cars. 
And yet there was a, you know, I, I've been using the term and you don't have to embrace it, but the inner tyrant coming out, the kind of, we have the power and we're going to stop these people. So is there anything you guys, well, first of all, what's your thought about all of that? And second of all, what can you do from Washington? Yeah, I mean, you you bring out the exact point that it's hard to get that genie back in the bottle once it once it's out. And once you start releasing tyrants uh, or people who have tendencies to become tyrants when they have that kind of authority, it becomes very frightful what they will do with that power. And then how do you restrain that power and put it back in the bottle after the crisis is over? And, you know, like drive-in churches, what is the harm of that? And how do you pick on churches who are having drive-in services, but you don't pick on the drive-in restaurant down the street that is having one person after another drive through, talking to a person, exchanging money, and that's not a problem. But for people to go to church, listen to the service on the radio, never communicating with anyone else, uh, that's when you start seeing the tyrants who are exercising and abusing their power of governmental authority. And you know, how do you deal with that? I'm, I imagine there's going to be some lawsuits, quite frankly, uh, because it's it's unequal treatment of, of one group simply because they're part of church. I have also been a part of writing letters. In fact, I had one just this week uh, encouraging the protection of our religious liberties during all this. Uh, we wrote that to the president right before Easter. And, uh, you know, fortunately, I don't know if you saw the incredible uh, message that the president gave from the Oval Office. Uh, you know, the president's with us on this, but unfortunately, not all states, not all governors, not all municipalities uh, are are on board. And we are seeing the release, as you aptly described, as, as tyrants who are abusing their power. And we're going to have to, we, we've got a job before us. We have a battle before us to take those freedoms back. Sir, I could not agree more. And I also think there's just this sense, I think that the uh, coverage of the coronavirus in the media and the, uh, as it turned out, the models having far greater, uh, fe creating fear because the models were exaggerated or people want to say, well, they weren't exaggerated. They were, you know, we, we lowered the curve sooner because we did all this great stuff in terms of social distancing. But whatever, the fear spread in our society even at such a rapid pace, I think uh, to, to give a little bit of a break to people uh, in power and governors and mayors and all that, if they really think my, my, you know, we're going to lose millions of people in our state, then you think almost anything is justified. But we need to begin to adjust because now the numbers aren't as bad. The, the, we're, we have you know, flattened the curve. We, we seem to be getting past the peak and that and the, the, but the, and the reason I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, I'm going to get to a question, but the other fear is, even people who are the experts, like Dr. Fauci and others involved in this, are saying, "Well, yeah, this is going on now, but you know, we may have another. We may have another peak in May. We may have uh, this virus may mutate, may come back every season, and we've got to be thinking longer term than just getting through this immediate crisis. What is it we're going to do in response in the future?" given this kind of virus challenge could come over and over. I'd love that you sent a letter to President Trump urging that. I'd love more voices out of Washington saying, we've got to respond to pandemics without shutting down liberty. That's exactly right. And fear in itself is paralyzing. And we yes. have seen that in our country in the last several weeks. And it should not be that way. We are America. Uh, we are better than this. We know how to thread the needle between public safety and our economy and our individual lives and our freedoms as American citizens. And we do not 
need to take one in spite of the other. Uh, and, and so this is something that uh, is extremely important for us to uh, embrace now uh, that we're in this. And we do not need, as much as we need uh, medical professionals giving us advice, giving us their professional opinions of dangers that could happen, we don't need them giving us economic advice. We don't need them creating public policy. Uh, we need their opinions. We need their warnings. But then others need to make the, de the decisions as to what's in the best interest of our country while being safe physically. And hopefully this will be a lesson that we learn this time and we won't uh, repeat it next time. Surely there's going to be more sickness to come. Surely there's going to be emergencies to come. But also, surely we cannot respond to all of those emergencies with fear and with shutting down our country. What a great ending note. Congressman Heist, I know you're in big demand. I know a lot of people want to talk to you these days. So thank you so much for taking time to join me on my show today. And I want to urge our listeners, this is Congressman Jody Heist from the great state of Georgia. I like your official website, on your congressional one. And I, I love that you're there in Washington speaking up on these important issues. And as I say, I think it was brave to put your name on a letter to the president saying you got to watch spending. It's brave to speak up about religious liberty because in the environment of fear, it's easier to just surrender to those who are claim they're trying to protect us, but the path they choose to protect us is really shutting down liberty. I, I, I appreciate your bravery and thank you so much for coming on today. It's my pleasure to be with you, Debbie. Thank you for your voice. Uh, we're all in this together and I'm deeply grateful for all you do for our country. Same to you, sir. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. You. That, my friends, is Congressman Jody Heiss. And I really, I've, I'm just very, very grateful for people like him being willing to speak up and keeping us really, uh, keeping Americans alert to that the fear mongers are not the only ones um, who have actually a, a say in what's occurring. And I don't, I say fear mongers, and it sounds unkind. I don't mean that it's that people who are fearful are unjustified in that. But we've got to move beyond fear means frozen to mean fear means we deal with the fear, we assess the problem and we move forward as a country and we continue our country, um, continue and protect the liberties our country was founded on. So that's Congressman Jody Heiss. OK, I'm going to hit uh, two other stories today. Uh, one is there was a press conference, which I'm going to guess a lot of you already saw. Um, but I, um, it, I think it was important to talk about because the press conference press conferences that happen every day in Washington. They usually have President Trump, Dr. Fauci, sometimes Dr. Burks. They have the vice president frequently there, other members of the administration. And virtually all of the questions you get from the media related to coronavirus are in some way or another trying to get the president or Dr. Fauci or Steve Mnuchin or the vice president, somebody to agree that President Trump has done a terrible job, that he is, has handled this, this crisis poorly, that we're in the horrible situation we're in with coronavirus deaths because somehow we should have done something sooner or differently or better. There's just a relentless effort, relentless effort to vilify President Trump. So um, I wanted to share with you, this was a press conference that, that happened. I sent uh, some clips to uh, Matt. I want to start with, there's just, a, this is a lie. This is during the press conference. If you don't know about it, in short, uh, the press is lined up, you know, they listen to the press conference, they get to ask questions. It's never a friendly question, never supportive, never anything good. 
And in addition to what is said at press conferences, you have most of the players in the mainstream media, or as I call them often on my show, the mainstream media mob, endlessly finding some basis to criticize President Trump, what he said, what he should have done, how he made some mistake. And he's just, the coverage is so relentlessly anti-President Trump. And even when he tries to put out things that say, you know, actually we haven't done, everything hasn't really been terrible. Um, he can't get any traction. And then there was a piece in the Washington Post, uh, which is, of course, you know, very left-wing and, and anti-Trump since uh, he declared his nomination, um, his candidacy. There was a piece in the Washington Post that was called Trump versus Biden on coronavirus. Trump versus Biden on the coronavirus. The timeline is utterly damning. And of course, their point is that, you know, Trump has handled this terribly and Joe Biden would have been so much better and he'll be better, blah, blah, blah. So, President Trump took advantage at a press conference of putting a little video out during the time, during the press conference. You have to picture it. It's very funny because the president's standing there, other people who are part of the press conference uh, on the stage, as well as all these people in the mainstream media lined up and they're covering this press conference. They are, you know, live television covering this press conference. So President Trump, as I said, this is a short excerpt of a video he played, but this is what he played during this press conference, which is causing so much anxiety um, in Washington. Here you go with the press conference. People should be more concerned right now with the flu in this country. A lot of people are concerned about the coronavirus because they're hearing a lot of news about it right now. But the reality is comparing it to the flu, for example, it's not even close to being at that stage. What if it is worse? Is this a moment where maybe countries put politics aside, a little bit of pride aside, and do we have U.S. officials, should U.S. professionals such as yourself get involved? How worried should Americans be about coronavirus? Coronavirus is not going to cause a major issue in the United States. Well, we've asked them to accelerate whatever they're doing in terms of a vaccine. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. His team is on it. They've been responsive late at night, early in the morning, uh, and they've uh, thus far been doing everything that they can do. And I want to say thank you, and I want to say that I appreciate it. He returns calls. He reaches out. Uh, he's been proactive. Uh, we got that mercy ship down here in Los Angeles. That was directly because he sent it down here. 2,000 uh, medical uh, units came to the state of California, these FMS, these, these field medical stations. Uh, and that's been very, very helpful. And that, my friends, was this press conference that the portion I clipped out, it gave a little bit of a highlight, you know, but that had it, the portion I didn't play had a timeline. It had President Trump, you know, a timeline like you see in a book or, or a magazine or any place or online. Uh, and it showed, you know, when he did certain things and the press is having to watch. They're sitting there. They're stuck. They, they thought they're about to be able to pummel him again with questions. And said he pulled out this video, and they have to sit and watch this video. And so it was really good because he taught he he presented. I gave you just a smattering, but all these compliments given to him by governor saying, you know, President Trump is very available. As soon as I ask, he turns, he provides what I need. He's he's done a great job. I mean, it was just a, a really, really great thing. And as what was kind of comical, I don't think it was in the portion I played for you, but so President Trump, he's standing there on stage, you know, the video, the video is going, the crew, the, all the media's in the front row. And President Trump is standing, looking at the video and periodically going, like, like gesturing, see, see, looking at the, um, the press crew, press corps. 
Now, I will tell you that even some conservatives were critical of that and said, you know what, you know, just what a stunt. This is childish. This is this is so unnecessary. It's a serious time. And he used this time to tout himself. But, you know, folks, I want to just really ask you to I mean, I I can criticize numerous things about President Trump. This show is not about making sure that President Trump is never criticized. I I I talk about America. The purpose of my show is defend America. I think Trump is doing an extraordinary job with the agenda he's embraced and following it through as he's doing exactly what the American people wanted. But I am also don't think everything he's done is perfect. And when I think things are not, I'm happy to say it. But in this case, just think about what goes on in the White House with President Trump since the day he took office. Every press conference is filled with the hateful left-wing media, which is pretty much all of them, finding some basis for every policy he enunciates, every event he he, he covers, every story he wishes to tell about. There's somebody out there ready to pounce, ready to criticize. On top of that, this coronavirus is an extremely alarming situation in America. You've had literally you know, millions of Americans frightened. The president, as he pointed out, and he, if you listen to the whole press conference, you'll hear even more of this, you know, he was the first one to say, uh, while Joe Biden was issuing, you know, snark and, and Nancy Pelosi issuing snark about President Trump's actions, he was the one to say, I think we have to cut off travel to China. He has been proactive. He's been listening to the advice of Dr. Fauci. In fact, in the same press conference, Dr. Fauci was being asked questions by the media and the media was trying to get Fauci to say, Fauci had previously said a couple days ago, well, yes, if we had taken some steps earlier, if we had engaged in social distancing earlier, we might have better numbers. So the media is pouncing on Fauci in this conference trying to say, trying to get him to admit, isn't it true that you advise social distancing, but President Trump wouldn't follow your suggestion? Fauci says, no, absolutely not. That is not true. Don't go there. That is not true. So Fauci is even, and I don't even think Fauci, I'm not going to think, I am sure Fauci is not really a Trump supporter. I think a lot of what Fauci has advised is actually making things worse. I think that Fauci is very down the path of wanting the American response to coronavirus ultimately to be one which we embrace vac- mandatory vaccines and the whole vaccine agenda that he is um, part of and supporting along with Bill Gates. Fauci is no friend to Trump, but even Fauci saying no actually is not fair to say that Trump didn't follow my advice. So anyway, this press conference Trump plays that video. Everybody, you know, a a lot of people were just uh, so bothered, so irritated that he managed to force those reporters. Obviously, it's making me laugh. Trump managed to force those reporters to look at the truth. And on top of that, to look at a true timeline with facts and data and clips and quotes, because what the media tries to do with those press conferences is show up with their cameras take the, you know, supposedly put the press conference out, but they are endlessly wanting their own criticism of Trump to be the highlight of what they're doing. Ah, look how great question so-and-so asked. Yeah, they really set him straight. So Trump obviously won the press conference, but more than that, he really uh, gave himself and the administration opportunity 
to speak to the American people through this press conference in a way that the media could not stop him. Now, some of them cut away during it and came back. But the other thing I want to play for you, just if you have any doubt about how much CNN as a you know, radical leftist Democrat media mob network, what CNN did with their headlines, because they obviously run this press conference and they show it to people. So there's a term called a Chiron, C-H-Y-R-O-N, C-H-Y-R-O-N, Chiron. It's just the, the name for the little label they put on their uh, when they're covering stories. I sent Matt the Wonderful a series of, I think, three or four of them. This is what CNN did when they had to cover the press conference where Trump actually succeeded in putting out the truth. This is one they use. Trump uses task force briefing to try and rewrite history on coronavirus response. Nothing he said, nothing in their coverage could they point to as false, but they, they say he tries to rewrite history. Here's another one. Angry Trump turns briefing into propaganda session. Okay, and one more. I think one or two more. Um, uh, Trump refuses to acknowledge any mistakes. And so this is, I don't know if, I think that might be it. Maybe it's three of them. But anyway, the point is, the CNN network, who just lives and moves and has its being for the purpose of destroying Trump at all times, really got stuck and they got taken by him. They got in this press conference, they got around to having to cover the reality because they're covering the press conference and Trump is showing the world, here's what really happened, world, and here's what the media tries to portray. At the very beginning of, and I only played a portion of that, very beginning of that, He's pointing out that all these media outlets sitting there criticizing him all day long were back at the time the virus became known at all, were spending their time criticizing the idea that anyone's worried about the coronavirus. We all should be worried about the flu. What's everybody getting all in a bunch, you know, all worried about the, the virus for? So the very media who is now criticizing him for not reacting soon enough was in the early days when he was responding quickly in the early days criticizing that for criticizing him for an exaggerated unnecessary response to the virus one other thing i mentioned the, the washington post piece that um really i think probably inspired him just go ahead and let him have it there was actually a really good piece a uh, on that topic and it's available on our website americacanwetalk.org and the, the piece is called The Real Coronavirus Chronology Shows Trump Was on Top of It While Biden Was Mocking the Danger. I don't, I'm not going to read you a, a whole article because it wouldn't be interesting and because I want to urge you to read it yourself. But on our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, you can read this article. I really urge you to do that because it's easy for left-wingers to fling their, you know, they're just endless insults and criticisms of the president and to do it with a, well, you know, everyone knows he didn't act soon enough. Everyone knows he messed up. Everyone knows everything could have been different, blah, blah, blah. They can do that and to respond in substance beside conservatives saying, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. And, you know, kind of meaningless. You need to understand the details in the chronology and you can, it's not complex. But the fact is, this is Monday morning quarterbacking by many people in the media who spend their life trying to destroy President Trump, who cannot bring themselves to say a good word about him no matter what he does, who happily were piling on criticizing the people he chose to appoint to the commission to reopen the country, happily criticizing how's he, who, you know, who, is this, who are these people with this idiotic, who are his family members, 
and every step he's taken. So this was a, a great opportunity for the president to point out. It was a lengthy video that the media had to sit through, and it had a lot of facts, which despite CNN's efforts to uh, whine and moan, actually were factual data with dates, with the, the very people in the media who are making these statements, whose faces are there with the data. I mean, you just, you couldn't deny what he came up with. And so I think the very first question I heard, I decided not to listen to the rest of the press conference, but the very first question I heard was someone saying essentially, who put this together for you? How long did it take him to put it? How come you're spending, I mean, they're, they're looking for some reason to criticize and all they can really get to is, well, who came up with this for you? And how can someone wrote this for you? Why would you do this? I really want to share that story with you because you're going to hear, uh, the, first of all, the media is now on to this idea uh, that President Trump is um, not going to take their criticism sitting down, not going to take their mockery and ridicule sitting down. He's actually going to fight back, and this bothers the daylights out of them. But when he uses a press conference like this, a press conference and lays out facts that are irrefutable, that are visible, you can see he's really, really made a dent in their effort. And you know, folks, I have to say, I had um, on the show yesterday, I think it was, um, I was on some topic about the coronavirus and some of the people I was watching uh, later, the comments on Facebook as I did the show live, and there were people uh, making the point, you shouldn't make the coronavirus political. This isn't a political issue. There are people suffering. Let me say again, yes, of course, there are people suffering in America and around the world. The coronavirus is a real and a horrible disease. No one is saying it doesn't exist. No one who's ever used the word hoax about it is saying the disease doesn't exist. What we are talking about as a political issue is the question of whether or not the response chosen by our country, driven by Dr. Fauci's input to President Trump about how dangerous this virus was likely to be, given the models created mostly by left-wing sources, models predicting massive death in America, massive suffering in this country, and the advice then given by Dr. Fauci that said essentially the only protection we have is to shut everyone down in place, we're going to have a, you know, everyone healthy, uh, or not, and whatever condition they're in, everyone must be uh, shut down at home. We must shut down all non-essential businesses, all non-essential travel, and that has harmed America's economy. And this is not about caring about greedy corporations making more millions of dollars. The, uh, the concern about getting America back to work and getting the economy going is a concern about the everyday person, the average Joe, the person who lives paycheck to paycheck, who very much needs to have their job back, their company working. Businesses, business owners need to have permission to reopen. The political issues that surround coronavirus involve the policies we embrace to deal with the virus, whether we go with the try to protect the susceptible versus freeze the country down, the opposition of many people to the idea of the economy opening up at all, the long-term threat we see in this country as we hear Fauci and others saying the virus is going to come back over and over. There may be a new peak in May. There may be an outbreak in the fall. There may be a mutation in the fall. We may have a seasonal virus. We have to be thinking in terms of policy and how we deal with this. And the policy answer in America cannot be 
that forever and ever, when a paint, when a scary virus comes along, we shut down the country. And if you think that the conservatives are making coronavirus into a political issue where it is unjustified, then you are missing the reality that there are many forces on the left in this country who have dedicated themselves to destroying the Trump presidency over and over and over. They've dedicated themselves to that when they got on to the fake Trump-Russia collusion, followed by their effort to remove President Trump to impeach him when he hadn't done anything wrong and they knew it, when their very candidate, the Democrat candidate for president, had done exactly had actually done what President Trump was falsely accused of doing, and yet they went forward with an impeachment. The fervor which with, with which the left embraces their mission to destroy this president, to take down his America first agenda, and it's not really personal to Trump. They don't like Trump. That's clear. But they even more deeply, the American left loathes the restoration of America, the America first agenda, the coming back of jobs to America, the renewal of the American spirit, the renewal of the free market economy humming along and helping people find jobs. The lowest unemployment rates we've had in decades were just six weeks ago, a mere six weeks ago. If you don't understand that the left is using the coronavirus, the reality of the coronavirus, to push their unending mission to destroy President Trump, then you're not following what is happening. Yes, conservatives are discussing coronavirus in political terms, but that is because the left is exploiting the coronavirus. The fear that is filled America, the left is using that to harm the economy, to harm President Trump, to keep the economy shut down, to take away all of what we had going in this country because of the policies President Trump had put in place in restoring America. The left is the one politicizing through their policies, their reaction, their judgment of everything that's happening. It's the left doing that. And people defending President Trump are simply defending the idea of America, the right to the in the mission to bring America back to where we were before this virus came along, not to be cavalier and not care about people suffering, not to ignore the reality. Of course, people are suffering, not to be uh, uncaring about people's um, about people's lives, but to recognize bringing the economy back mean, means bringing back human comfort, human comfort bringing back the ability of the average Joe citizen, the one who's most hurt by this shutdown, bringing back their ability to have a job, to earn their own way in life, to be self-reliant, to pay for their family, to pay for their mortgage and their rent and their car payment and their insurance payment, and to put food on their kids' table. That's what restoring the economy is about. And this is why it is so alarming to see how willing the left is to push this crisis as far as they can because they see the same mission, they see they can possibly fulfill the mission they've had since January 2017, which is to destroy the Trump presidency. Right, one, one last story for today, very briefly, um, and that has to do with um, Boris um, Johnson. As you likely know, Boris Johnson actually uh, contracted the coronavirus, discovered he uh, had contracted it, tried to stay home for a few days, see if he could uh, move past it himself, 
required hospitalization. Uh, so he was in the hospital in the UK uh, in intensive care, back out of intensive care, and now he's home. He's taking a few more days to you know, make sure everything's back on track. But I wanted to first celebrate and just say I'm grateful for the doctors and the nurses everywhere on this planet Earth who are trying to help COVID-19 patients. Boris Johnson, very eloquent, emotional uh, thank you he gave for the people who cared for him in the UK's healthcare system. In America, you have all sorts of tremendously sweet stories about you know, people in neighborhoods, living near hospitals, opening their windows and yelling out as the shifts are changing, just clapping for the nurses and doctors. The love and support pouring forth in this country and all around the world for healthcare workers is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's people recognizing that doctors and nurses must go into the COVID-19 units. They must deal with COVID-19 patients. And it is a, and everyone is, is suffering from and learning to deal with this relatively new crisis uh, on the healthcare front in this country. So want to mention Boris Johnson. This is great. He's back. But in addition to Boris Johnson being out, I also want to mention that these statistics come out all the time about the coronavirus and recovery. And, and I want to mention them again because all you ever see in the headlines, because the Democrat media mob is dedicated to making this crisis, crisis as alarming, as fear-inducing, and as long-term as they possibly can because they see it hurts President Trump. You rarely see headlines that say, for example, you know, some number of people died from coronavirus, but X number recovered. You rarely see that. You have to fight to find that kind of data because the media trying to alarm people announces numbers of deaths, never in the context of, you know, compared with deaths from flu every season or deaths from the flu this year or other deaths. It is, oh, in fact, the, uh, the, the uh, people who are dedicated to making this virus last and the danger last as long as possible have actually become mocking and ridiculing of anyone who tries to make any kind of comparison, any kind of assessment about where we are in this virus. So I wanna share some other numbers. So we have uh, Boris Johnson, yay, he's, he's um, back and healthy. Um, we had uh, the uh, low number and Johns Hopkins reports that there are 300,000 people in the world who have recovered from COVID-19. 300,000 have recovered. Different numbers from Wikipedia, but Wikipedia is claiming to have more updated numbers in this entire world. We have 1.9 million cases. The Wikipedia number is 467,000 recovered. So Johns Hopkins is saying we know of at least 300,000 recovered. And Wikipedia is saying actually it's more like 467,000 recovered and 123,000 deaths. So far more recovered than died. Far more recovered than died. Many people going in to get testing because they want to know if they have the virus are being told, actually, you have the virus antibody, meaning you already had it. And the symptoms were so light, so, uh, you know, it just wasn't a big problem for you that you got through what you probably thought was a bad cold or flu and, and you've already had COVID-19. These stories hardly ever get told. And I want to tell them because I, I am infuriated, number one, with how the left is using this scary virus for political means to destroy President Trump 
I am livid that there is an endless effort to make people fearful and never to put the numbers in context for people, to help people realize most people, it is like still 98% of people who contract COVID-19 recover, 98%. 80% are asymptomatic. They, they have it, they didn't know, they oh, I had a cold or something. These are fabulous numbers. I'm not saying it's not serious. I'm not denigrating this, that suffering really occurs, but the whole context needs to be talked about. Tomorrow on this show, I'm going to have a doctor join me named Robin Armstrong. He's a Texas doctor, and he was the victim of ridiculous level attack on him because he in his Houston clinic where he he's got a practice in Houston but he's the, his practice group is the main uh, main do- are the main doctors for a nursing home a senior center home a, a nursing home and he discovered that they had covid-19 coronavirus has made it way made its way into the uh, nursing home so they had everyone tested all the staff all the patients and he decided to pursue prescribing hydroxychloroquine. He knew of cases where other solutions have been sought in nursing homes. He saw the horrible outcome in the Washington State nursing home where they lost so many patients. So he decided to prescribe, based on his years of medical practice, to prescribe hydroxychloroquine. And he's going to come on the show tomorrow to talk with us about how how that went how the patients are doing, why he chose that. But the reason why I want to have mom is, is you know, hydroxychloroquine is, of course, the, the Dr. Fauci's of the world, the Berkshires of the world, the people just dedicated to the uh, must vaccines are the only answer kind of solutions are always mocking, ridiculing, eye-rolling, sounding tentative about hydroxychloroquine. Well, we're not too sure. I don't know about that. As the numbers of doctors grow who are saying, we're finding great outcomes. Hydroxychloroquine combined sometimes with other things is actually bringing recovery. I'm gonna urge you to listen to that interview tomorrow firsthand, listen to what he has to say, and then think about why you've seen Fauci and others so ridiculing of hydroxychloroquine or any solution other than freeze in place, stay home and wait to the 12 18, to 18 months before we have a vaccine ready. And on this uh, website for my show, americacanwetalk.org, there's also a great piece explaining why it is really hard to gather accurate data. Because I think it is, you, people hear widely ranging numbers and they think that maybe there's, you know, People aren't telling the truth or exaggerating or hiding or whatever. It is hard to gather data, but there are there are data, overwhelming data to show the vast majority of people recover from this virus, vast majority, and that there are in this world already, Wikipedia's number, over 300,000 people. Now, Johns Hopkins' number, over 300,000. Wikipedia's, um, over 467,000 recovered. Point being, people are recovering from this. And we need to keep that fact in the mix of facts as we talk about the coronavirus. Okay, my friends, as I do at the close of every show, America Can We Talk, I turn to talking with you about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So I want to ask you to tune in. And this part, I have to say I love doing this part of the show. And I get nice notes. Thank you for the nice notes I get from people about liking this part of the show too. But Trump's reopened the America Commission. It's a necessary commission with a critical purpose, and it does have a need for credibility. Including Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump is understandable, 
but maybe not a good look to some people. The president needs people he trusts, not deep state snakes with which he is surrounded. Jared Ivanka are more well-informed and well-connected than most Americans. Their input could have been obtained without official participation in the commission, but they're in the commission. The fact that they're on the commission speaks volumes about how few people Trump can trust in Washington. Business leaders, economic advisors round out the group, plenty of expertise on the group, and they will bring the expertise that group needs. Trump is unafraid of being a leader. He has a right to get advice from whoever he wants. He's prepared to take the nepotism attacks. Let's hope the commission acts promptly and wisely. And on Trump's Corona presser takedown, the mainstream media's Trump derangement syndrome is shocking, difficult to comprehend, harmful to the country. The mainstream media acts with no purpose except to destroy Trump. Truly bizarre, truly bizarre. No interest in helping America if it means acknowledging Trump has done something or anything right. Early shutdown of air travel from China, recast already as too late and not enough. Efficacy of hydroxychloroquine, better let people die than to get well with a drug touted by Trump. Minimal deaths from COVID-19 relative to initial projections, utterly discounted if it means facilitating a reopening of the economy rather than continued shutdown and depression. President Trump is the only president in living memory who fights back against a lying mainstream media and the mainstream media is flummoxed to be on the defensive, which is among the first times they have ever been. So Boris is back and so are 300,000 others. Americans and all citizens of the world be reminded, recovery from COVID-19 is the rule, is not the exception. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is a strong individual reminder, but Johns Hopkins reports over 300,000 have recovered from COVID-19. Wikipedia is reporting of 1.9 million cases in the world, 467,000 have recovered, 123,000 deaths. With recovery the rule and the mortality rate no worse than a bad flu season, Americans must ask why the continued shutdown. I am Debbie Georgiatis, and this is America Can We Talk. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. If you go to my website, americacanwetalk.org, you can hit the subscribe button, and you can, can subscribe to my once-a-week email. It comes out on Friday, full of good information, links to all the show segments, and I never share that list with anyone, and it is free. It is just me to you talking once a week, almost always on Fridays. I urge you to go to our website also to read stories that we have at the website. We have a great blog going, and I'd love to have you read those stories. Love your commentary, uh, wherever you're listening, however you're listening. I love if you can subscribe on YouTube, follow me on Facebook, like the page on Facebook. If you're on Twitter, follow me on Twitter. Love talking with you every day. And as I say, some in some words or other at the close of every show, I do this show, America Can We Talk, out of love for this precious, extraordinary, unique experiment in human liberty, which is America. I do the show to speak up for America. I urge you to do that too. And I speak up for America because America matters. And I'll talk to you next time. America, can we talk? Truth about America. Can you hear